Welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm here for you. Today we're going to talk about ways to stop tolerating abuse. Abuse you may not even have recognized that is happening now or that happened earlier in your life. Maybe you'll hear something today that you really need to hear. It's my hope that you will. You're not alone. It's not your fault. You are not to blame. And I'll help you use that redirected energy to recover and to rediscover you, your values, your dreams, your desires, and then realize them in healthy ways and in healthy relationships at home and at work. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to episode 30 of the Relationship Help Show. That's an exciting milestone for us. So glad you're here. If this is the first time you've listened to the Relationship Help Show, know that if you enjoy this, you can go back and listen to the archives. Just visit RelationshipHelpShow.com. You'll see it all there. Exciting news for you. We're starting our own radio channel, our own little station, if you like, where there'll be all kinds of audio from me. So stay tuned for that. You can look at that at RelationshipHelpRadio.com. Exciting, right? I'm excited about it. I have hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio that I've done, and I'd like to get it to you. So I'm making it available in that way. But until that happens, here we are at Relationship Help radio on bbsradio.com. And today's show, episode 30, is about change, the power of change and how to change and will people change and what can I do if I want to change. So we're going to be answering a listener's question in the last segment and her question is about why am I still so afraid of my husband's anger and rages? They're always just below the surface and I've been with him for 40 years. Big question. Lots of things to consider there. So that's in the last segment today. Also, I've done a piece on a word that I love, and that segment is about propinquity, which is about being close to people. And my uh, piece today is on, are the people close to you, are they endearing or are they endangering? And are you being endearing or endangering? So something you want to have a look at because it will help you be self-reflective. It will help you reflect on your relationships, see what's really happening and see what you can do to have a more positive experience in those regards. So those are the uh, pieces that are in today's show. And my guest today is a returning guest. I'm so excited to have him here. He's Filippo Voltaggio. He is the person who has the program LifeChangesNetwork.com, the Life Changes show. And we, Filippo has been on the show before, but we didn't talk about his book. And this is not a promo for his book. This is about the meat and potatoes that are in the book and why you should listen to them because they're all about changes, changes you might not have thought even possible for you. And his book is called The Little Dog That Could. 
So we're going to talk about creating alignment and energy and what's going on within you and how how something happens, like this dog arrived in his life and how he thought he knew who he was and how the dog changed him. And in part two uh, of the time with Filippo, we're going to talk about people's opinions and expectations of us and who actually defines that. Is it a good idea to let other people define us? Should we be living up to the expectations of other people? And can we stay in the present moment? Can we stay focused on what's actually in front of us instead of living from our past experience? So, so much to talk about. Always remember other people's stories are not your story. If you have a question you want to submit to the program or a story you'd like me to read on air, go to 4, F-O-R, RelationshipHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash submit. You could submit your question for me to answer or your story for me to read, or it will give you an option if you'd like to be a guest and tell your story or ask your question and have a dialogue. You can do that too. So, so much for you here in episode 30 of the Relationship Help Show. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are these stories and questions on today's show sounding familiar to you? Are you ready to say no more to the abuse from toxic people in your life? I'm so glad. You matter and you deserve to have real love, true love in your life. Love from yourself and love from others. Not that demeaning, discounting and dismissive masquerade that a hijackal pretends is love. I can help you regain yourself, your self-esteem, your self-confidence after a life with a hijackal, whether it was your partner, an ex, a parent or a child. Let's work together now. For individual sessions or small group coaching, visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Talk soon. Hi, you're listening to the Relationship Help Show and I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Today I want to talk with you about a strange word that may not be familiar to you, but is very important when we think about uh, the people around us and the people that are affecting us, whether they're close to us geographically or not, they're still affecting us. And that word is propinquity. I love that word. And today I want to talk about is propinquity endearing or endangering you? So it was about 30 years ago, and there was some silly sitcom on television that introduced me to that wonderful word, propinquity. And it's an unlikely place to get a new word in my vocabulary, but nonetheless, I liked it, and I looked it up, and it meant newness, nearness, nearness of place or nearness in a relationship. And sometimes that nearness can be endearing, and other times it's downright endangering. Think long road trip with the family or that co-worker. Um, and we've all heard Mark Twain's famous quotation and probably experienced it to some extent or another when he said, familiarity breeds contempt and children. The suggestion, aside from the hint of procreation, I guess, is that the more time we spend with folks, the more we see and the less we like. 
Of course, that's not always the case. I've worked with enough couples and teams of co-workers to know that they often speak to the cashier at the supermarket with more courtesy and caring than they do to the people that they say they love and respect. Maybe you find that at home too. Somebody at home speaks to the cashier in the supermarket better than they speak to the people that they say they love. So why is this? Well, Mark Twain might be right. Once we've shared the intimacies and sometimes indecencies of life, we tend to look at each other differently. And uh, when we've been together long enough to know the somebody's vulnerabilities or their weaknesses or their trigger points, it's awfully tempting to poke out at the sore spots when you want to get a rise out of someone. And why would you want to get a rise out of someone? Well, that's where it gets interesting. Maybe you want them to notice you. Maybe you want to have a sense of control over them. Maybe you just want them to lose it so you feel superior to them. Maybe you want to push their buttons so they will do something that will give you more fodder for the next time you want to push their buttons. Or maybe you just want to take them down a peg. Or, of course, the possibility exists you're just plain nasty. Or maybe you're having a bad day and are looking for someone to bash and make more miserable than you feel. Or maybe you think you're safe to behave badly because they love you and they'll likely make allowances for you. There's so many reasons. And did you notice none of them are very good? And they can all be lethal. They're all pushing the relationship to the edge. And yet folks continue to do it. Hijackals continue to do it. So this wonderful word propinquity Propinquity can be endangering your relationship. You're too close to them. So living with with my mom was a great example of the damage that propinquity could do because she loved a good gotcha. You might have someone in your life like her. I hope you don't, but maybe you do. And just the very way she asked questions could tell anyone with half a brain that she was picking away, looking for something to hit you over the head with a little later. It was as though she just had to exert all her energy looking for weak spots. Of course, her conversation was constantly littered with judgments of the neighbors, the news, the negative. Nothing was good enough. Nothing was safe from her scrutiny for loopholes and lack. Being around my mom was like walking in a minefield most days. You never knew where to step. In fact, it was very difficult to put a foot in the right place. So propinquity was often undesirable. Now, for most of my children's lives, I was a working single mom. And at that time that I was awarded the grand sum of $60 per child per month in child support. So woohoo, money was tight and so was time. I worked in the school system so that I could have the same holidays as my children. So I'd come home at the end of the day to three children and a house. And I hate to admit this, but one day my children called a family meeting and they pointed out that when I came into the house after work, I always commented on what they had not done and they wanted that to change. Ouch! Just what I found so unappealing about my own mother, that had snuck into my way of interacting at that time of day with my kids. So we changed that. You bet. 
And thanks to those brave little souls I raised, <laughs> I was able to clean up my act to not be any version of Mommy Dearest before they were too much older. It's so easy to do to follow the patterns we've observed and lived rather than consciously carving our own. Propinquity saved that day and a lot of hurt feelings all around. So thanks, kids. <laughs> and of course, try as we might, we will make mistakes in our close relationships at home. Every person arrives in a relationship with a sum total of all the relationships she or he has observed or the relationships they participated in or been hurt by and all the ideas about how a relationship should be. And then we have to learn to navigate the minefields that creates. So frequently, couples who come to see me on video conferencing from all around the world, or um, they're distraught about each other's behaviors. And if I could see the balloons over their heads, I'm sure each would say, if only he or she would change, everything would be much better. We love it when we think it's someone else's fault, right? <laughs> Growing ups, though. Those are people who grew to be adults and also matured sufficiently to know there's no one to blame for their own behavior. Those adults look within themselves first when difficulties arise in a relationship. What's my part in this? What's my motive for doing what I'm doing or saying? What results do I really want to create? What am I willing to do to make that happen? Would I be willing and able to hear what I'm dishing out if it came at me with the same words, posture, tone of voice, volume, pace? Am I honest in the process? What could I do differently that would show that I love or respect the other person more clearly? That's a great start. Being self-reflective, in my opinion, is the hallmark of being a grown-up. There are far more adults in this world than growing ups. <laughs> I think you might agree. So now we're on the path that leads away from endangering the relationship and we start to move rapidly towards endearing. So after some self-reflection, endeavor to learn more about your partner or your coworker or your child in a genuinely curious way. Do it with the intent to learn, not with the intent to gather ammunition to prove you're right. That's a bit of an art. For some folks, it's even a foreign language. The three most useful words and possibly the most valuable in relationship restoration are the genuine utterance of, tell me more. Wanting to learn about someone's thoughts or preferences and motivation clearly demonstrates an interest in the relationship, and that's a great start. We never know all we think we know about another person, and we certainly know they don't know all they think they know about us. So just as you would want for yourself, you have to accord others with the expectation that they've maybe grown or learned or changed during the course of your relationship. Don't you just hate it when somebody pronounced those two lethal and usually inaccurate sentences, you always, or you never? These are most often reserved for one or two escalations into a blow up. Or someone who wants to pick a fight will lead with one of them. This just doesn't demonstrate that you believe the other is capable of or has experienced any change. And that's just not fair. 
and is definitely not endearing. So propinquity, that's geographical in that we are where we are by our choice. We choose to be in the relationship. And just before you go off saying you didn't choose your co-workers, pull back and look at the bigger picture. You want to eat. You chose to say yes to the job. Therefore, you chose the relationships for better or worse, and now you have to handle them. So at home or at work or in the community or at church or wherever you are, what are you doing to make propinquity, that closeness, work for you? Are you endearing or endangering in your approach to your key relationships? And how is it working for you? I hope you'll continue to listen to the Relationship Help Show. And in the meantime, visit the archives at relationshiphelpshow.com. Go to my website for Relationship Help if I can help you in any way or you're looking to read my blog or visit us on YouTube. Look at my channel for Relationship Help. Talk soon. Life as a couple can be exciting and enriching. You both feel supported, known, heard, and appreciated. You know you're safe. Is that what you're experiencing? Does your partner have your back? Can you be vulnerable safely? Do you trust each other fully? Would you say you were emotionally intimate? If not, things can get much better. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I work with couples just like you all over the world by video conferencing. If you want a world-class relationship, learn how now. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join and schedule a time to work together. Let's talk soon. forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Hello, and welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I'm so excited you're here and that you're here to enjoy time to take a break, get away from what's happening in your life, sit back a little bit and get a new view. And I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Filippo Voltaggio. Hi, Filippo. Hello, Dr. Shaler. Thank you for having me on the show again. Oh, I'm so delighted that you're back because we have so much to talk about. And we're going to take a totally different direction today. So let me tell you all a little bit about Filippo. He's a life coach and he specializes in, ready, changes. <laughs> and the wholeness and expansion of the self. He's the creator of The Recalibration. You can learn more about that by going to therecalibration.com. Wonderful training program. And a He's a public speaker, and he's the host of the Life Changes Show, and something we're going to talk about today, he's the author of a fabulous book, I just finished it, and it's called The Little Dog That Could, A True Story of Life, Love, and Miracles. So, so much to talk about. And I'd like to start the conversation by reminding everyone that I've said several times when people ask me, if you're in a relationship with a toxic person, they ask immediately, well, should I leave? And my answer is always, unless there's physical or sexual abuse, no, do your own work first. Because that will empower you so that you feel so much stronger if you leave. And it will allow you to be fully you 
until you leave or if you don't leave. And this book, The Little Dog That Could, you can find that at thelittledogthatcould.com, really has a lot to bear on doing your own work first. Wouldn't you say, Filippo? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> at least I was doing mine, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I, I say the same thing you do, interestingly enough, uh, in regard to life coaching. Even when people come to me for life coaching, uh, in the case where they're in a job that they, they feel like they've got to get out, I say to them, are you being abused? Are, are you in danger of anything? Are you about to get fired? And if their answers are no, then I say, if, then life, let's life coach through before you leave because you might be able to gain something. You may be able to see something you haven't seen before. And circumstances invariably change. They may still eventually leave the job. Like I had a, a, a doctor who was with, uh, she was a chemist, she was with a company, and she hated it, she had to leave, I'm leaving tomorrow, and I had to see you today, and, and so we talked it through, she ended up leaving a few months later, but all of a sudden she left with friends, she left amicably, and she left with information that she didn't have before, and then I also use it when people say they're out of a job, and they need a job, and, and their life is falling apart, and they need life coaching, and I'd say to them, maybe life coaching isn't the thing you necessarily need right now. If you're in an emergency situation, you need to take care of the emergency. It's kind of like if you're in a burning house, you don't stop in the middle of the house to say, now how did this happen and how do we stop it from ever happening again? You get out of the house and then mm -hmm. we can talk about it after everybody's safe. Exactly. And that, that's a very... Um vibrant analogy <laughs> um, but you know the commonality between our approach is important for people to really consider because there's a tendency to movement and that is just away from things and when you are in that movement away from things you are then in that panic i'm going to get out of the house i'm going to get it i'm going to move away from what's hurting me right. and that's natural and that's good However, when you're with a toxic person, many people don't have that instinct. They keep thinking, because the toxic person, the hijackal, has told them this, they keep thinking, oh, maybe it's me. If I were kinder, if I were more pleasant, if I were more patient, if I wasn't such mm -hmm. a mess, you know. And so that is not quite the same energetic piece that I'd like to explore with you today. Asking someone to do their own work first before deciding to leave anything and I like the fact that it happens in your coaching as it happens in my consulting means that you want to empower yourself and go away and make decisions from your best self your highest self your most aligned self if you like and I know in the book you spoke about alignment I speak about that all the time and what's your definition of that alignment Mm -hmm. Wow, it's, it's so expansive because it involves as many aspects of our life that we know of and don't know of. So the more we explore our lives, the more we can get into alignment with it. We can see what resonates, what doesn't resonate. Well, actually, in the book is a fine example. I wasn't in alignment with what I wanted, who I wanted to be, but I but I projected 
what I wanted and what I wanted to be, but I, I wasn't that, and I didn't know how to bridge that gap. And an opportunity came as the book uh, subtitle, When the Student is Ready, the Teacher Appears, an opportunity came, the dog, but I didn't <laughs> accept it because certainly a dog can't teach me anything <laughs> at the time was my mentality. And so I was ready to give the dog away. And that's what you're, you're talking about right now. So uh, the analogy of if you're not being abused, if you're not in danger, then, you know, let's work through this because you also don't want to attract the similar situation in, you know, exactly. just out of the pot into the fire. However <laughs> that goes. So, um, but if you are in danger, then get out of the house and then when you're safe, we can talk. So, so there's the balance. In my case, I wasn't in danger. I just did, didn't want the dog. I wasn't supposed to have the dog. This, this, you thought, I thought <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, and so, uh, as you know, in the book, Dorothy says, you have something to work through and then the dog situation will resolve itself. Uh, and, and I didn't want to do the work. Now, this is now almost 12 years ago. Uh, now I'm more inclined to say whatever situation, if it doesn't feel comfortable, let's do the work so I can get on the other side of this because I know there's another side of this. Yeah, we, we certainly have the ability to accelerate once we understand the process. <laughs> and, and for those of you who are interested in the book, remember to go to the littledogthatcould.com. I highly recommend you do it. You have Oh, you have it there. What a surprise. Well, there there is... Um, yes, there's Chichina, exactly. Yes. So cute. Um, you want to read this book, and you, you could even um, do really well to study this book beyond reading it, because although it's spoken of in a story form, you're not going to find bullet points and exercises. It will certainly open your heart and your mind to things if you let it. So let's go back to asking these questions, because when something is in front of us and it is really not what we think we want, and often that is exactly the case when you finally awaken and realize that you are with a relentlessly difficult, toxic person who is making you wrong every moment, making everything your fault. When that moment finally arises, when you stop believing that everything is your fault and you're always wrong, there is a big awakening and then you get some energy. So I want to talk about energy because this is so very important to us and the way that we make choices. Mm. Uh, when I talk about alignment, I talk about four things, Filippo. I talk about knowing your values. How many people sit down and actually figure out what they value in the world, what they want more of in their world, what they, what they do want and what they don't want as in terms of their values. The second thing is to know what your vision for your life is, not the one that you adopted or adapted or inherited, right. but you have a vision for your life as an adult right now or a teenager right now. And the third thing is to know your beliefs. What do you believe about the way the world works? What do you believe about the way relationships work? What do you believe about how money works? And of course, your spiritual and philosophical beliefs. And then the fourth thing is knowing all of that, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and that's how you get alignment. What do you think of that? 
I, I think uh, that's very much aligned in, uh, with what I believe and with what we teach in the recalibration. You mentioned the recalibration earlier, which is our uh, a workshop. It's also a lecture series and, and all of that. And I do a little bit one-on-one -on -one with clients. But as a whole, the recalibration takes people through those questions, but in a very different way. Because take, for example, one of those, what we believe uh, without, you said, uh, as opposed to what we've adopted or we've inherited or something like that. I like that very much, how you said that. And, and most people don't know the difference between what they believe and what they've adopted and what they've inherited. And, and so we take them through a series of questioning where we ask specifically, like what did other people want for us or what did other people think of us or what did other people say about us and other people being our parents or our teachers or other kids or our family members, et cetera, et cetera, other influential people in our life or even non-influential people in our life that we didn't know were actually influencing us. And sometimes what we come to find out is what we believe about ourselves is actually what everybody has said about ourselves. Exactly. Interestingly enough, just this uh, last week, I had a new client and she came to me and I just shared this on the Life Changes show last night, actually, uh, and uh, as, as part of our monologue. And, and she came to me and, and uh, started sharing her story and what she needed help on. And she needed help finding a job. She needed uh, help becoming uh, more more lucky as she put it uh and and then she proceeded to tell me how her father was right her father's always been right about the fact that she's unlucky and that she'll never get a job and that she was born like this mm. and she was born sickly as a matter of fact she said she was born with a tumor and though the tumor is not come back and she's 30 years now 30 years old now she's still unlucky and she was born sickly and she's going to be sickly all her life even though she's not sick so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so the belief in herself is not that she was necessarily born with this belief or that she uh has uh really believes this about herself her father told her she saw examples of it and she's focused on that and now this is a self-fulfilling prophecy for her as a prime example. So if you're listening and you're beginning to realize that maybe you're in one of two predicaments, and we wrote about that in the book Soul Solitude, and there are two predicaments among many in life, but two that relate to our conversation here, Filippo, which is one, living up to the expectations of others. Mm. You know, if you're caught doing that, you know, that, that can be very, very, very troublesome. And the other is addiction to drama. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? So these are very important things for us to discuss and for us to have further conversation about, which we will in part two. So stay with me. My guest is Filippo Voltaggio, a life coach, a speaker, author of The Little Dog That Could, and you can find him at lifechangesnetwork.com. If you want to learn more about my work, go to forrelationshiphelp.com, and we'll be right back for part two. Hi, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. 
Handling hijackles is exhausting. It's never ending. An endless cycle of crazy making, alienation, and constant drama. And cycles are difficult to step out of. I know because I've been there too. And that's why I reach out to you to offer the insight, skills, and strategies you need to heal. My small group programs, Handling Hijackals and Hijackal Recovery and Rediscovery will shortcut your journey to healing, to save your sanity, and to stopping the crazy making. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join now and let's talk soon. And here we are back with part two. And it's so important that I have this huge conversation with you and we're going to jam pack it into this small amount of time, Filippo, because there's so much to what we're discussing. So my guest is Filippo Voltaggio. He's a life coach. He's a speaker. He's a musician. And he is the host of the Life Changes show. You can visit him at lifechangesnetwork.com. And we were talking about alignment and we were talking about how you have maybe some drama or maybe some living up to other people's expectations in your past that you haven't really grown into and decided who am I and who do I want to be right now, this minute. Put the past behind you and let's see what will find you. So it's important for us to be able to open ourselves to that. And when we're in a lot of stress, a difficult relationship, a toxic relationship, sometimes the stress is just overwhelming. We can hardly get ourselves out of the bed in the morning or lift our head and have a look at life. What would you suggest as a good step for somebody who's just waking up in this moment saying, yeah, I have been living by other people's standards or what I adapted, inherited, or adopted and from my home life. And I have never really thought of me as a completely independent, autonomous being who can make up my own life and my own rules for my own life right this minute. You, you just said something also very key. Well, a lot. <laughs> uh, but from from my home life and and home could be the home you're currently living in in the moment uh, and it also could be the home that you've carried with you that you grew up in uh, it, it could be whatever is inside our heads that we we thought of as home so all of all of these things so whether we're in a, a current relationship that's not working out or a relationship in our head that we've carried with us because those voices uh, we, we remember we repeat just like the young lady I was telling you about who kept saying her father's right and she's not with her father uh, so so there's that and I I also should mention it that, that Living up to other expe- others' expectations, like you said, is a double-edged sword. Most people think because others think less of us. But even if they think more of us, even if they think highly of us, if it's not what we want, if their high thinking of us, uh, great expectations of us, are not what we want, or if it's causing some kind of stress that we're not able to handle or don't want to be a part of, then then there's that too. Because people could say, well, I have everything. Or in the case of relationship, I have everything. My husband gives me everything. Or, you know, I, I have a great life. Well, is it? I, <laughs> I had a client who had that actually. Beautiful home and 
a husband who gave her everything and all the money in the world. And, and I, I felt sorry for her because in a way it's harder for her to find herself because she also has this expectation from her family that since she has it all, she should be happy. She better be happy. Yeah. And <laughs> let me let you interject. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because that's a prime example of living up to someone else's value system. Yeah. You know, I, I married a hijackal, not because I wanted to. I mean, initially I did, but I broke up with him and I said, I, I was young and I said, no, this is no good. I can't, I can't give it a voice, but this is no good. I do not want this go away. And I was separated from him for eight months for all good reasons. But being a hijackal, what he did was he went and prevailed upon my parents and my godparents, who were very instrumental in my life, and he wooed them actually seduced, lied, and manipulated them into telling me that I, just like you said, it was perfect. What was I doing throwing this away? Why wouldn't I want this and all? And so I ended up in a, in a marriage with a person like that, and it didn't go well. So it is important to know if you're doing your life or someone else's vision for your life. And specifically, in answer to your question, especially in this day and age, with shows like this and people like us and books and all that, there, there is help. And, and I, I suggest people seek it. So if they wake up and start realizing, is seek it. And that's, that's a reason why I put out the book for example, the little dog that could. And, and before the show, you were saying, oh, none of that was new to me. And I, I, I believe you, and I'm glad to hear it. And it's extremely new to a lot of people. So those that resonate, if they wake up with that thought and they get out of bed and say, I want my life to be different, that already is a huge step. And to be open to the signs, the books, the stories, the people that come into our lives and, and that, that, look, uh, that have experiences that look different than the ones we're currently having, or better yet, have had experiences like the ones that we're currently having and no longer have them. Mm -hmm. Really what you're describing is being open to what's in front of you and being open that it may be changed. Mm. And I think that that's exactly what the book offers. Yes, I mean, I've been in this work for a long time. So for me, it was a reminder and a validation. And that was great to read the book. But for people who have not learned all of these things, you must go and get this book. And it's a charming story. Of course it is. But when you realize the depth of the story, now we're talking about Filippo's book, The Little Dog That Could. And I invite you to make sure you go to the littledogthatcould.com and get yourself a copy or go to Amazon and get yourself a copy. Because I got all entranced in this book. Yes, I know the basic principles, but I got very entranced with the story to understand how it affected your life. And I'm so glad that you told that story. So could you give us this sort of capsulated view of what that experience with Chichina made? You know, years ago, at, at least a decade or so, I read a book called The Celestine Prophecy. Yeah. And I remember getting entranced. I'm sure you've read it and many of your listeners have. I got so entranced and I, and I thought, 
yes, this is true. This is true. And of course, I believe in what the, what the experience was. I, I, I came to realize the story is not true. And I, I was disappointed. I thought, I, I'd love to have a real example of, of these experiences within a real life story. And I never made the correlation until I was writing the book, mm. uh, or I wasn't really writing the book, I was putting the story down uh, on my computer. And, and I thought, oh, this is that. I asked for this. <laughs> and you got it. So what, what was your overall takeaway from your experience with this little dog that could? And, and, and it's interesting, as all good stories and good experiences, um, or even some not-so-good experiences, the, the gifts keep on giving. So when I, when I had the experience with the dog, uh, so I, I, a, a dog met me, and, and uh, you know, boy meets dog, dog meets boy, and, and, and we uh, started to relate, uh, had experiences that are somewhat normal and people talk about all the time and then started to have experiences that are not normal, but maybe they are, but people don't talk about them all the time. And so hopefully they will become more and more normal with these kinds of conversations. Uh, things got very hard and I had guidance throughout um, from Dorothy Donahue, who kept saying, do the work, do the work. <laughs> and sometimes we need somebody like that and, and guiding us through the work. So the story has its, its uh, twists and turns. And, and it, I need to say, since so many animal books end up sad, it ends up very happy, not just for me, but for the dog as well. Uh, and so I had that experience. Well, in writing the book, I had another experience, and that is I got to see myself over and over through all the edits and making sure my eyes were dotted and my T's were crossed and all that. I'd read the book and I got tired of my uh, insecurity, of my uh, you know, unsureness, of my you know, lack of confidence. And really, Filippo, you could have gotten this in chapter one. <laughs> oh, now talking about childhood experiences and background, look at how that popped out right there. <laughs> and so now, as I get to tell the story, and as I get to hear other people's experiences, again, gifts that keep on giving, because they'll see things in the book that I didn't see or I didn't really put there. And, and, and from all ages... I don't remember the, the oldest person that has read it so far, but I do remember that I was asked to sign a book for a 10-year-old, and I asked the mother or the grandmother if she had read the book, and she said, I have, that's why I want one for my 10-year-old. So I was telling this to a friend, and his sister was there, and she says, excuse me, and I said, yes, and she said, I gave it to my 8-year-old. <laughs> I said, Really? And she said, yes, uh, he'll get, he got what he needed to get out of the book. Wow. And then years later, he can read it again and get something more. That's lovely. I mean, what awake parents and grandparents those two were. 
Mm. You know, to say, okay, I'm not going to feed your fantasy life. I'm going to give you something that's real and human and warm-hearted. Mm. And uh, that's a lovely thing to give our children among other genres of, of reading. When we have a dog, or when a dog has us, I don't know which way around <laughs> it works. But, you know, I have my dog sitting here. His name is Mystery. He was a rescue. We found each other 11 years ago. So I related entirely to the dog. Because when I first got my dog, I thought that he was a possession. Mm. Right? It mm. was like, okay, I got a car. I got a dog. I got a house. So, you know, life is good. <laughs> but. Then I had to learn about him, and he does things differently than many dogs. Some of them are, are great, and some of them are coming from fear, but he doesn't have any really bad habits, except that he, doesn't, he will not allow you to pick him up. So he mm. never sits on my lap. He never does any of that. He's just down there <laughs> doing his thing. But the lessons that we have when we communicate or really consciously look at an animal in our lives and open the space for what there may be between us makes a difference. It enriches your lives. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I've been asked the question, do the kinds of things that, that you experienced in the book with the dog work for humans too? And I found that a very interesting question because uh, yes, it's true. Most of us don't relate in, in those ways that I related with the dog. And so it opened me up. And though I had been in relationship before, uh, it, it opened me up to a way of relationship that I had never experienced and have since experienced with people as well. So there's a lot to be learned from a dog when it comes to relationships. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I absolutely agree, obviously. But the thing is, often when I'm working with couples, and that red book back behind me, Kaizen for Couples, is all the work that I do with couples. But many times, and this is not in the book, but many times I will have them stop the verbal communication. And it's much like talking to the dog, is you look deeply into each other's eyes to see what's being said or mm. what is there. And the dog can't talk back to us, even though our partners can't. <laughs> but we can learn a great deal by that nonverbal communication of eye contact. And I love what you had to say about that. And, you know, sometimes mystery will just perk himself right up there out of the blue as if to say, I'm talking to you. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I have to figure out what's going on here. So I love this story, and I'm going to say it again. Go out and buy a copy of The Little Dog That Could for everybody you care about. It's a lovely, lovely story. It goes along the genre of a book that I, I really um, love, which is Jonathan Livingston Seagull. It, it, it gives you a feeling of a story that has a lesson that you know is important. So thank you for taking the time to write that book. I didn't want to, but you're welcome. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, it's always smart sometimes to do the things we don't want to do, which brings us full circle back to doing the work. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
because many times people will say to me, oh, but that's so much, and I have to be vulnerable, and, and I have to want to talk, and I don't have the time, and what if I get open and I can't close it down? Let me just say, and I want to hear what you have to say about this, Filippo, but you are worth it. You oh. matter, and your life is from this moment on. Why not improve it? in this moment so it will go on in the most improved way it can i'm sure you'd agree but what would you add oh i i agree very much and just just this weekend i had a client write me and said i'm trying to get a hold of you i'm trying to call you and i i wasn't available this weekend period but i wrote her and i said could I, i'm not available could you please write down what you're wanting to say and, and she wrote me back saying, I don't want to write it down because it's going to make me think more than I want to. I just want to be able to say it to you. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> and much like Lay the book, <laughs> and much like the book, I had the experience, but the process of writing it down made me go deeper into the experience. So the experience took on a completely more expanded life. Had I not written it down, then A, we wouldn't uh, ha be having this conversation and people wouldn't have the, the benefit of, of, of what's, what's in it for them from, from, from reading the book. Uh, but B, I wouldn't have gotten half of what I already thought. I, I thought there's no more to be had. Right, and you there got was. the richness of the experience by writing yeah. it down. And, and you're right, uh, we, we are worth it. The experiences are worth it. And, and somehow, whether writing it down or, I, I don't know of a better way than writing it down. I understand some people think they can't write or what have you, but it's, I say to people, this is for you. You don't have to read it to me. I don't have to read it. I'm not gonna grade it. You don't have to hand it in. Write it down because there's, your body's involved, whether you're typing or you're, you're, you have sense memory. There are all kinds of things going on rather than just remembering a story. Thank you. And on that note, I want to thank you for being my guest again. And I hope that we'll have another conversation in another few months. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I've been talking with Filippo Voltaggio. And you can find his work at lifechangesnetwork.com and find his fabulous book, The Little Dog That Could, at thelittledogthatcould.com or at Amazon. And I just want to say that if you've heard something today that starts you on your way to opening yourself to change, you want to listen to Filippo's radio show. And go to BBS Radio, the same place you find our show, and you will find his show, The Life Changes Show. And it's a great one. And I've been on it, so go and listen to that. But if you found yourself opening yourself at this moment and saying, ah, I may not have been as open as I could have been, and I'm ready, then think about what Filippo has said and think about where you'd like to do your work and get it started. You, you heard him talk about his, his series, The Recalibration. You hear me talk about working with me or doing my Seeing the Cycles program. There's a lot of help for you. 
we've walked so many paths to help other people walk those same paths, and we'd like to do that for you. So thanks for being with us. Be sure to look for us again next week, Tuesdays, 6 p.m. at BBS Radio. And if that doesn't work for you and you want to see it on my website, go to forrelationshiphelp.com and just click the radio button. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm delighted you chose to spend this time with us today. No matter what's happening right now, life can get better. If you have a good relationship, it can become great. If your relationship is in trouble, we can find a solution. The good news is that it's in your hands to start. The not-so-good news is that it takes time, new insights and skills, and a whole bunch of willingness. But who would settle for less? Not you, right? Good. You want to feel seen, heard, known, accepted, and appreciated. You want honesty, safety, trust, respect, and reliability, too. Read my book, Kaizen for Couples, available for download at couplesbook.com. Start there, and let's talk soon. Welcome to the question and answer part of the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. And you're always welcome to send in your questions or your stories to me, whether or not you want to come on air as a named guest or an anonymous guest, or you want me to read your question or your story on air. You can do that at forrelationshiphelp.com slash submit. So an anonymous person wrote to me, a woman, and she said, Married for 40 years, and I put up with the blaming and the anger and the outbursts and the rages, and I've been completely lost about what to do. Now I understand that I've been immersed in hijackal behavior all my life, with my parents blaming and shaming me, then my husband's outbursts. So I understand intellectually what's going on. So my question is, why am I still so afraid of my husband's anger and rages, which are always just below the surface in daily life, and why can't I get past this fear? Whenever it happens, I'm sick to my stomach with anxiety. Is it that I've never had a sense of myself and always been a total pretzel? Thanks. Wow, there's a lot of pieces to that question, and uh, let me cover the main ones. If you are a person who has been held hostage to the rage of a hijackal, um, then you know exactly what this woman is talking about. And remember, she said a few key things here. She said she's been married for 40 years. Now, if we go back 45 years when she was dating, and we just think about the age and stage of the culture, we were still at a time when women were supposed to please men. When the idea of making yourself attractive to a man so you could get a quote-unquote good catch was very important. If you look at the magazines of the day or listen to programs from the day, you can see that. I mean, look at Mad Men, uh, look at Leave it to Beaver, look at any of those things where the woman is supposed to please, where she's supposed to uh, have a beautiful meal waiting, the children all bathed and ready for bed, and she's turned out beautifully with a fresh apron, always an apron, I don't know why, and she's got on fresh lipstick when her husband comes home because she's supposed to please him and pretend that nothing 
happened in her day and be interested in his. So think about when that marriage started. It was at a different time. It was a different mindset. It wasn't what we were thinking about in these days. So this marriage with is based on blaming and anger and, as she said, outbursts and rages. Um, then you do turn yourself into a pretzel. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe this person uh, is responding to something I'm doing. Maybe I should be better. Maybe I should be more patient. Maybe I should stop being so demanding. Maybe I should remember, in this case, it's a guy, so maybe he had a bad childhood, and maybe he had a bad day, and maybe he doesn't feel good about himself, and I'm supposed to be the one who helps him. I can fix him. I can lead him to feel loved enough so he'll change his behavior. No, 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 that's not how it works with hijackles. Let yourself off the hook right now. You cannot love them out of it. You cannot fix them. There is nothing that you can do that will change their basic nature. Got that? You cannot change them. They are out to change you. So in this case, in this woman's question, she has been put down, shamed, blamed, and now she recognizes that that happened at home too. Her parents did it. So when she was of dating age and remembering that she's supposed to please men because of the time, it would have been extremely difficult for her to be in any other state rather than that comfortably uncomfortable place where I need to be worthy enough to capture a man and how he behaves is my fault. And it isn't. You're with a grown-up, whether or not that person has matured and is an emotional growing up is another whole question. And in the case of hijackals, no, they have a mental, emotional, not mental, an emotional age, usually fixated somewhere at less than 10 years old. So when they go into their emotions, they're stunted, they're stopped. They don't have the normal range of emotions. So rage is very accessible to them. And if you have been raised to please other people, as this woman says, you know, I've been blamed and shamed by my parents. So you need those parents. You needed them to protect you. You needed them to eat or sleep or keep you safe. And so when they blamed and shamed you, you naturally took it on yourself. You thought you were doing it. You thought they were right. Now is the opportunity for you to stand up, speak up, and express yourself, to really think through, and it's wise to get help for this, to help get someone to help ask you all the right questions to get into the dark corners that you can't visit when you're sitting by yourself and find out where did you get these messages that made it all right for somebody to be yelling and raging at you? Where did you learn to take it on yourself? And so you ask the question, why am I still so afraid of my husband's anger and rages? Well, you've always been afraid. You've been afraid since you were a small girl. This is where it started. This is where you develop your patterns. This is where you develop the idea of who you are. Your parents tell you who you are. Your parents define you and your reality. And unless at some wise point in your life, you take that over and you redefine it for yourself, that subconscious programming will keep running. So why are you still afraid of your husband's anger and rages? It's because you're still afraid of anyone's anger and rages at some deep level.
And then you go on to say that his rages are just below the surface in daily life. Well, you're walking on eggshells, and who wants to live walking on eggshells? That means you are always living in fear, as you say. So you then are already in a heightened arousal state when you even think about your husband being in the same room with you or getting on the phone with you. What's going to be wrong? What is going to go sideways? Why is it always going to be my fault? Now, you know that having listened to this program or read any of my work or been on my YouTube channel for relationship help, or you visited the website for relationship help, you know that a hijackal is always going to blame you. Everything is going to be your fault. Why? Because nothing can be their fault. The idea of even entertaining the thought that something could be their fault is not possible. It destroys them internally, so they do not have that thought. Therefore, everything is your fault. So first of all, separate yourself from the hijackal in your head. Okay, that's his stuff. I remember I'm talking to this woman, so we're talking about her partner, who's a male. That's his. This is mine. He's raging. I'm cowering. Hmm, I can do something about cowering. I can't do anything about his raging. That's his decision. But I can do something about me cowering. So get in touch with that. Okay, what can I do about that? Well, first of all, I can internally put up a wall and say, no, I've thought about that and that's not my fault. Nope, I reject that. Then out of your mouth might come, that's not the way it seemed to me and I don't believe that. You've said nothing wrong about the hijackal, so you're not, you know, it will enrage him further because he's bound and determined to be enraged. But you have started to say, no, I'm clear about me. No, I didn't do that. No, what it looks like from my side is that that didn't happen. And you begin to separate out what belongs to the hijackal and what actually belongs to you rather than seeing them enmeshed and entangled. And furthermore, you don't want the hijackal to be telling you what's your fault. You want to figure out who are you? What is my reality? What are my values? What do I live from? Is this all right? Obviously, you're writing to me, so it's not all right on any level that somebody is having you live in fear. So, of course, you're going to want to ask yourself the question, why am I still there? Well, do your own work first. You've heard me say that. Everybody's heard me say that. Unless there's physical or sexual abuse going on, stop, get help, and do your own work first. Find out what's going on with you, why this has ever been acceptable to you, why you were enabling this, and what you want to be different. Then learn some skills and strategies. I have clients all over the world through video conferencing. We can work together. I will help you get new view, a new approach, a new perspective, new skills, and you try them out in the relationship and you strengthen them within yourself. And then you see what happens. And if nothing good happens, then you start to say, am I willing to put up with this any longer? And if the answer is no, then we work together to help you move away from that, which is not easy to work away from a hijackal. And for anybody listening who says, I want to leave, you do have to know how to leave and you have to know when to leave, and you have to know how to prepare to leave, and you have to know about courts and attorneys and all that, and I can help you with that. But for you who's written to me about why am I still afraid of my husband's anger and rages, it's because you haven't stood up and looked the tiger in the face and said, 
I was angry and I was afraid of my parents' rage. I was afraid of their blaming and shaming. I do not want a repeat of that, so I backed down. So you can clearly see now that the work lies within you. Do that first, and then you will know how to start speaking up and showing up and being different, letting the hijackal know that you will not put up with this and things have to change. Whether or not they'll change, that remains to be seen. But the first step is within you. I hope that helps. This is Dr. Roberta Shaler. You're listening to the Relationship Help Show on Relationship Help Radio. Visit us at relationshiphelpradio.com or visit my YouTube channel at For Relationship Help. Talk soon. I'm so glad you spent this time with me today. I hope you heard something that touched your heart. You can have the life and relationships that you most want, and that begins within you now, today. I'm always here for you. Life can get better, and you heard that from me, the Relationship Help Doctor, Roberta Shaler. I work with clients throughout the world through video conferencing. We can talk. Learn more at forrelationshiphelp.com. Visit youtube.com slash forrelationshiphelp. And if you want to listen to the show's archives, visit relationshiphelpshow.com. Join me for next week's show. I'll see you then. Talk soon.